Y'all, I started this with um, relatively some somber feels. I started this with some background vocals I arranged for a track that will probably be my second release off of my new project. But I thought about doing it. I I chose this piece because, one, I think the chords kind of match how I'm feeling. And two, because... The song is about trauma. You know, the song is about, you know, explaining to someone the effects of the trauma that I've experienced. And I I think in the morrow of what happened last week of all the, the tragedies in the news last week, in addition to the backdrop of all of the COVID-19 related deaths, I worry or at least want to acknowledge the collective suffering and the collective trauma and how I was feeling about it. It was sort of a meditation on how I may feel in the future about this era, how I feel now about this era, and the healing that needs to be done or that I, that should be encouraged or should be um, started in this era. So rest in peace, Ahmad Arbery. Rest in peace, Sean Reed. Rest in peace, Nina Pop. There are other, I'm sure there are other people that didn't bubble up to the sort of national news, um, the Twitterverse and all of that. And there are other people that I didn't include, mainly because I don't know all of the details or I just didn't feel comfortable speaking about it. But I am thinking of you. I am, you know, I'm thinking of your family. Last week... Well, before I get into the sort of episode, you know I like to talk shit. That's kind of like how I, how I like to start things off. And I know I kind of bummed us out um, 
but there's 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 some fun tea somewhere. So I I, I did start a diet, and I don't really know. I, I half committed. Lee or half committedly started this diet. So I can't come out and say like, oh, I'm going to be a dieting ass bitch this week. But I think I'm going to try to drink more. I've already been drinking more green juices. And I think I'm going to try to rev up my juice consumption to two juices a week. And it's because, two juices a day, sorry. And it's because like, you know, I got this page A's, this page A's as, um, that's hard to say for me. Space age ass. Space age ass scale that is it's super cool but it what measures everything like body fat percentage uh, and I would actually plug it, but they're not paying me, so fuck that. I don't. We don't do free advertising here, but you know, body fat percentage, bone density. Of the fat, which is visceral and subcutaneous, like it really gives the tea. Like it really, 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 really gives the tea. So it's like, okay, now I gotta get shit together. Now you know, it's it's it like you know, I've been baking carrot cakes. I've been baking white chocolate macadamia cookies. I've been baking bread. And it was funny because I was talking to one of my friends recently about how baking for me is not new. Like, all the girls are running to, you know, start baking and shit. It's not new for me. Baking has been something that people in my family have taken seriously. Like, my grandmother, my aunt, to some extent even, like, well, my father, my stepfather. Like, all these people in my life, even if they have, on my father's side, a shit ton of people love to bake so it's always, it's felt inherited, like it's felt very um, spiritual to me and, or at least like part of my ancestral responsibility or whatever. And I've had a couple of personal moments, like once when my, when my grandfather passed away, I opted out of the wake. I, I didn't want to go to the wake so I chose to bake instead. And when everybody came home, they had this huge two-layer like commercial size. It wasn't really a, it's a yellow cake with chocolate frosting. And um, my grandmother like gave me the... She kind of passed the guard to me. So I really... I mean, it's just, it just has a lot of personal... A shit ton of personal life. So I love to bake. It makes me feel better. So I've been baking, and it shows. <laughs> I've been baking, and... It shows. And like, you know, I just need to to figure this out. I need to, I need to, you know, I don't know what looks I'm return post-quarantine. I don't know what I'ma be on post-quarantine. Cause who knows what that world will look like. And there's a whole bunch of, you know, shit that should be discussed here. I don't think I will be discussing it. But, yeah, the worries about employment and what everything. You know, as a musician myself, I'm like, what the fuck is it going to look like? Am I going to be performing? Can I perform? Where can I perform? You know, what? It's It's crazy. It's crazy. But we'll get through it. We'll get through it. I want it. I want this episode to be about language, which is not new for the podcast. I'm always talking about language, 
partially because I'm just very sensitive to it. I put a lot of thought into it. Even when I am seemingly jumping from topic to topic, my black ass is thinking about it. It's connecting on some level internally. And word choice, just how it sounds to even say a word. I think way too much. I consider way too much when I decide which word to use. And it often backfires. It often makes me sound like I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about, so I don't suggest this. But I, I think the truth... Oh, wait, before I... Oh, bitch. Okay, so before I get into her, I want to wish everyone, wish all the mothers a happy Mother's Day. And this is, you know, this is everybody... This is not just for the cishet women. Um, this is for everyone that has played a mothering role. And, and and I do think that this is worth talking about, but we won't do this. I will just lightly touch on it. I think that there is something special reserved for, or something special about the cishet um, mothering experience. So in promoting these other types of mothering, uh, you know, I don't want to imply or subtract or detract from that experience because I do think that experience is beautiful and especially so, you know, in a, in a, in a rarefied, sanctified way. But there have been so many mothers that have come in and out of our lives, particularly if you're a queer person or if you've, you know, are an extremely poor person and you could, your family could not support you and you've been borrowing aspects of mothers from your aunts, from your friends' parents, from your grandparents, you know, you've been just taking bits of motherhood from all of these places. And there are tons of queer people that are homeless or that are outside of their immediate family unit and have to find a mother or a mothering figure. And, you know, there's even... And this is something that I personally hate, but it is true, and I do think it is worth mentioning, that in relationships, sometimes in friends and lovers, people, one person is raising the other or you guys are raising them each other, but you're playing a role that is, there's a bit of that parental love there and parental responsibility there. It's not to say that it's fair. It's not to say that it's good. It's not to say that it's healthy. But there are a lot of people, particularly men, particularly cishet men, that are only who they are today because of the contribution of women and feminine energies embodied in other people. So... Happy Mother's Day to y'all motherfuckers too. The ones that have raised men and 
have nothing to show for but loneliness. Like there was this episode of an insecure where Issa was talking about how Condola uh, was profiting off of her benefiting from from her work with Lawrence. And that feeling, that ringing the alarm, I've been through this too long. Like that energy um, is something that I think a lot of us understand. So just wanted to shout that out. And finally, rest in peace. I started it with Tutti Frutti. Um, so rest in peace to Little Richard. I, I, I think... I think it's funny because on Twitter I saw a lot of people being like, oh, we don't give him his flowers. You got to give him his flowers. Like, it's funny how they don't want to give you the the title of architect of rock and roll. And it's like, you know why. Don't act stupid. You know why. It's not like, a, uh, 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 like I don't know. Like, this, like, you know why. You know that it's the queerness. You know that it's the femininity. You know that 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 the dominant culture did not want to, especially the intersection of that and blackness. Like you know that's why they don't want to give the flowers to him. They don't want to give him that title, that respect, and that's why it was infinitely as infinitely more beautiful when he demanded it, when he claims it, when he says things like or. I'm not conceited, I'm convinced. When he was himself internationally. And sometimes I feel like my generation looks back at the generation ahead or two generations ahead or however you want to consider that and and, and considers it devoid of progressivism like there's no there were no boundary pushes there were no like that we are the ones heralding this queer transformative force and that's just not true that there especially in the in the black community there were people that were heralding this queer energy forth and achieved heights that we have not seen again I mean, Little Richard's contribution to rock and roll hasn't been duplicated explicitly by another queer artist. I mean, that may or not be, that might not be true. Um, And I don't really need that statement to describe the importance of Little Richard, but I think you understand what I'm saying. That architect of genre status for of a mainstream art form, we're not quite seeing. I'll, I'll maybe house, but you know, maybe house to the extent the house is mainstream. I mean, yeah, I don't. It's just you see what I'm saying, though. So I wanted to do that and I hope I've got everything. I hope I've touched everything. Um, I did want to go into the tea though. So this week, this episode's going to be about language as a lot of my episodes are. So this should not surprise anybody. But 
The truth that I want to explore this week, and I'm not sure how I'm going to articulate it yet, so I might change this articulation over the course of the episode, but the truth that I want to express here is that there's power in the tongue, that words matter, words are very powerful, and the way that I mean it will probably require me to rephrase but I was listening to this podcast that was actually published I think two years ago the episode was published years ago it's on um it's feral visions and the episode I forgot what it was called but it was featuring this gentleman uh, Dr. Philip Deloria and essentially he's talking he talks about white people Particularly, but all but Americans, so POC, everybody kind of does this shit to different degrees. And it, it happens on so many different facets. But anyway, he was talking about non-natives, Westerners, that interact with Native Americans. And will interact for Natives solely for the purpose of spiritual enlightenment. You know, they believe in all of, like, you know, drinking some ancient tonics, going through some ancient, or, you know, not ancient, but some old, some native culture, native ritual, and experiencing enlightenment, access to new languages, connections to the land and to, you know, the collective that they haven't seen, connections to the greater, you know, whatever whatever lies beyond our five senses. And what happens, what happens is that these non-native Westerners engage solely for that purpose and then leave and abandon them and he was talking about well i guess i'll get to his his later point but he was offering ways alternative ways to do it that you should engage on the basis of service how can you serve and aid the community and if you are so invited to participate in these in these rituals then great but if you are not you take the l you know but you should just be happy to be serving this group and then you should advocate for them politically, right? You should use your privilege as a non-native, which is a crazy even sentence. Use your privilege as a non-native to advocate for their rights. You know, there are ways to... You, He didn't say this. I will say this. You need to earn your spot at whatever spiritual ritual table that's, t- that's taking place. Um, so that was one of his points, but another point that really stuck me stuck with me, and that is what I'm talking about this episode, is he was saying that we like to think of native people as spiritual. We describe them as spiritual. We did we our attitude and belief system about them is one where it's like these niggas got the keys. You know, it's keys to things that we don't have the keys to. Either like the trees or whatever. Like they have this ass, they have this 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 super supra materialist or like this very, you know elevated consciousness, you know, that doesn't, that 
does not require them or at least doesn't necessitate extensive material need, right? So they are able to, because they have this deep relationship to the universe, they don't need material things as much as everyone else does. And, you know, to a certain extent... There's so much wrong with that. But the, the, the what I want to make clear is I'm not saying that it's an argument made in court where people are saying, well, because this is a religious group of people or a spiritual group of people, they therefore they don't need material things. What I'm saying is that it's an attitude that colors the the their the perception of them it's a description of their of their value system that then makes it easier to um to exclude them from conversations about material things to confiscate or to just under resource them because they have this pool this mystical that's the word I was looking for this like mystical aspect to them almost privileges them or gives them the privilege of not being material or not needing materials. And the, the I guess many of the problems are there at least two. One is that it's false. You know, a lot of, and I don't want to speak too much about this because I'm not an expert in their faith practice, but from what I understand, a lot of it is like lands-based, which by definition is immaterial. So that's dumb. Like, you know, if, if, if your faith practice relies on specific locations, specific, you know, orientations in space and with the land and all of that, like claiming that, you are, you know, sort of exempt from materialism or whatever is is nuts. Um, but the problem, my problem with it, is that it excludes them from politics. It that attitude leads to a diminished political, a diminished sense of political power, and when you do that, you lead to extensive augmented human suffering, right? So here are some stats, and I'm not even talking about this in light of COVID, but in, you know, when you look at the stats inclusive of COVID, it's even worse. Um, you know, that the, bu- the budget for the native populations is $2.4 billion, and about 68% of that goes directly to tribes, while 32% of it goes to operate the offices of Indian services, justice, trust, and field operations, among other, just like administrative stuff. So when I started to, when I heard that figure, I you know, pulled out my phone slash calculator and I was like, okay, but how many of these things are there? All right, so if there's $2.4 billion, how many Native Americans are there? So there's 6.79 million Native Americans and um, based on the recent census and 573 recognized tribes. If you account for that, 68% is going directly to the tribes. That leaves $242 per person for the year. That's how much the government allocates towards, towards Native people. And then you think about, well, well, they might be able to make that up, right, with un- with jobs. Well, unemployment 
depending on the reservation, is anywhere from 35 to 85%. Housing, 40% of folks are, you know, 40% of housing is deemed inadequate. 30% of housing lacks running water. It's like when you really dive into the numbers and see how what it means to lack political power due to a, a myth of mysticism, and then you introduce something like COVID-19. You know, I saw, it's just like, I could cry about this. And, and it's not even like my direct lineage or whatever. I mean, I'm sure it is because being West Indian and, you know, whatever. Having West Indian, like, family and, you know, I'm sure there's, there's native. But regardless, you know... When you think about $242 a, a, a year is allocated to people that we, that genocide, you know, is, what? It's just, it's disgusting. And it's criminal on that front. But aside from it just being criminal on that front, it's also just the fact that you know, you layer on unemployment, you layer on housing. Of course, there are negative health outcomes. There's predatory, like, you know, practices in terms of marketing alcoholism or, like, you know, the rampant alcoholism that's allegedly, I shouldn't say allegedly, the rampant alcoholism that's on reservations. Like, this whole thing is just messy. You know, it's just messy. It's, it's evil, in my opinion. But my point here is that you've, we've allowed this mystical, this mystical language to lead to the erosion of their political power. And I should, to justify it, I shouldn't make causation there, so I'm going to rephrase that. We use this mystical language to justify, to reduce the sort of guilt and cognitive dissonance around taking, seizing their political power, Right? So I thought about this. I listened to the gentleman speak. I listened to Anjali not speak, um, the host of it. And it all struck deep to my core. But then I started thinking about the ways that this same trick is used for black people. How this same trick is used for gays. You know, like, you'll see something where... I think it's most salient with black women, but it also applies to black men. So we're just going to do like just cis hat black women for now. Or maybe just cis black women in this conversation. But it really doesn't. The, the, I think it applies to all groups in its own different way. But the mythology of the of the black girl magic and the and the myth the the strong black woman the the you know the mythically strong like tragic black heroine and i think those myths are different so i don't want to make it seem like i've coupled them together you have a positive myth a sort of egocentric was that huh, is that the word i want to use I don't know, but you have a, 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 a ego edifying myth 
like Black Girl Magic. Black Girl Magic is beautiful. It makes everyone feel, it makes everybody who's not a hater feel good. You know, you want to see women move with a sense of rarefied grace and power and self-esteem like it is good to everyone like you know that's one of the that's one of the things that i think is no matter what your sexual orientation is like watching a confident a cared for confident healthy unless you hate women um a a confident woman move through space is the most like amazing thing right like everybody thinks that if you look at everybody who's not misogynist like thinks that like the gays i mean do you know how many gays have studied naomi campbell's walk (laughs) like what it means culturally like entire like entire cultures have been influenced by the way confident women move and talk like it's been foundational to the prides and self-esteem of little queer boys all over the place everyone just loves it you know so of course you want to imbue this black girl magic to everyone or give imbue everyone with this black girl magic because Look at what it does. I mean, when it works, it makes everyone feel great. And it's necessary. Something has to be done for the self-esteem of people that are systematically and systemically abused, ignored, um, hated by everyone, including their own people, people at the bottom of this sort of hierarchical structure. So, of course... If you didn't say something like black girl magic, how would you care for the hearts and minds of these young girls? Girls that can go missing and nobody cares. So it's a, I understand how good of a myth that is and how powerful it is. Then you have a related myth of the strength of the black woman. Black women being you know, just the cornerstones of all things, of all family, of all sort of generational um, progress, of, you know, being infinitely brave, infinitely bold, never tiring in terms of their ability to advocate truth tellers, like all, like this stereotype And it's like, they don't have an infinite reserve of, a magically infinite reserve of energy and power and strength. Like, both myths, positive or not, you know, encourage us to ignore their humanity. It encourages us to ignore their vulnerability. And it doesn't make us feel like we need to help them. And often, people, men, don't help where they are not needed. You know, the trick to get a man to do something is to make him feel like you need him, which is stupid, but it's the truth, 
right? So, you know, you make him feel like you need him, then he shows up. That presentation often requires you to lie about some about or diminish your own power or present your power in a diminished capacity. And it's like, no. But aside from that, that mythology, aside from like the voluntary, the voluntary presentation of that, the mythology has already come before you. The mythology has already made him think that you don't need him. And because he thinks you don't need him, he is less likely to help. And more likely to go someplace where he feels he is needed. You know, and it's this... And this kind of goes into a whole lot of other shit, which is not what I meant to go into, but we might as well get into the tea. It goes into why white femininity, why when you look at, you know, interracial pairings and things like that, or even just the ability to find a mate, so not even just in terms of interracial pairing, but the ability to find a mate, and amongst heterosexuals, why white women, why black, the numbers for black women are diminished or are smaller in comparison to white women. Because the brand of femininity, right, the white femininity presents this needing help more than the mythology of black womanhood. And this, I'm only speaking about this because normally I don't speak about straight shit. Because I don't, I mean, I care, but, you know, I care for my sister and my mom and stuff. Like, I, you know, I care, but I try to stay out of straight politics because, because there's a lot there and there's enough for y'all to figure it out. Um, But it extends to queer relationship and to, well, to gay relationship. You know, gay people that perform what they know what they've seen, what they see in movies, what they, you know, their, your consciousness, your imagination is full of these images that were sold to you. And, you know, and what you see is, well, this is how femininity works. So how, as a man, do I duplicate that? How, as a black man, do I communicate that I need help? So this is, I've kind of left queerness, but it's related, obviously. How do I communicate that I need help? How do I get the help that I need? Or even if I don't need it, quote unquote, will I get it? You know, it's, it's, it's like if I'm not dying, uh, the, part of the consequence of being somebody who has, being part of a group of people that have lived at the bottom of society for a long time. It's like, yeah, you've learned to survive through extremely adverse situations. So no, you don't technically need it. Need in the strict you know, sense of the word. But that doesn't mean you don't deserve it. And if, you can, if, if there's no space for you to communicate that you need it, then you will never get it. And this is also the case for masculinity. Like, that's why a lot of masculine niggas are crazy, right? Because 
if they masculinity projects never needing help and if they need help from other men they definitely not gonna get it because you know men only respond to places where they feel like they're needed And so what happens is you have the feminine force that identifies for them that they need help and fills in, you know, without, without just fills it, just mothers, right? Because that's what mothers do. That is, that's how mothering works. You don't wait, as a mother, you don't, you don't have the luxury of waiting for your child to have the perfect language to say, oh, I need so-and-so. You have to know, oh, he's crying, that means he's hungry, you have to know this, and that same, that skill or that orientation is what fills this gap perpetuated by the masculine force. Or by mas- the mas- masculine myth. I don't want to make it like, you know, force. But sort of going back to the original point is like when we engage in this magical ass language, you know, we ignore the humanity of people that could benefit crucially from being seen and loved and cared for and fed and, you know, just lifted up. And, you know, I've seen this a lot in my own life as someone with a fair amount of, you know, feminine energy and as somebody who cares for people deeply and as a queer person, it's kind of just like, well, there is this kind of black queer thing where it's like you have infinite creativity, infinite energy. Like people just expect you to be a star. You know, you are here. You are going to entertain. You are going to bring the lights. You are going to bring the jokes. You are going to bring the style. You have this infinite reserve of this magic. And it's like, do you know how much I paid for this magic? That isn't quite, that isn't magic? I paid for this in, in a lot, in suffering, in, it's not free. So, I, I, so returning to what the truth is, hmm, the truth of this episode. I, I guess I will leave. I will leave it as I stated it. But I feel like you know, there's something. You know, there's no magic in myth. You know that that you know magic doesn't exist. That that's the truth. So I leave y'all with that, and I'm curious if y'all agree. You know, you know, hit me up. Hit me up if you've got my number. Hit me up if you don't. Don't hit me up. I don't give a fuck. But if you do, hit me up, or you know, leave a message on the gram. I was thinking about starting an email address for y'all to hit me up about the Black Sublime. So I might do that. Um, but yeah, you know, stay healthy. Um, stay positive, stay uplifted, try to find moments of joy and try to feel that joy in your body. And I'll see y'all next time.